Hey, I'm Father Roderick, and welcome to another episode of The Walk. I'm currently at one of the biggest railway stations of the Netherlands. Central Station in Utrecht, which is a big city, uh, about 15 minutes to the west of where I live in Amersfoort. I have to go to Platform 4 here to head back home. So I'm just going to take the escalator here. I'm being passed by... (laughs) by lots of other passengers who are in a hurry trying to catch their train. It's almost rush hour, and so everybody seems to be in a hurry. Uh, Let's see. I think this is my train. So I've been traveling for a while now, uh, just about two hours by train. I had to go to the south of the country to film for uh, a production that we are preparing I think it's number 4 yeah this one leaves at 4.21pm so it means I still have 3 minutes now this train is pretty crowded so I'll walk all the way to the front of the train so I was filming for uh, actually a number of presentations for a project um that is linked to maybe the biggest television event or biggest religious television event in the Netherlands it's called The Passion has a an English name and uh, here we go it is uh, it's kind of a a huge musical that is uh, filmed this year in Roermond which is in the south of the country with uh, lots of well-known singers from the Netherlands. And what they basically do is um, they connect popular songs. Let me see, there are lots of people. I don't want to disturb them too much with my babbling here. Um, Yeah, this is okay. So anyway, they've taken a number of uh, popular songs, Dutch songs, well-known songs, um, and they always pick them in such a way that the, the text, the lyrics are applicable to the story in the gospel of the passion of, of Jesus. And this is aired live um, in the week before Easter, so in the Holy Week, on um, actually on, uh, on Holy Thursday. And so what I've been doing for a couple of years is we link that, um, uh, that event to um, charitable initiatives in the region. So there is this uh, uh, organization uh, called Consfonds in the Netherlands, which means basically it's funding opportunities. Um, and they fund all sorts of local initiatives to help people that are marginalized or uh, in going through difficult times. Um, so it's uh, a wide variety of uh, initiatives that they support. And uh, what I do is I, I produce a number of... Um, uh, short videos that portray these initiatives and uh, I'm not filming everything myself Hugo um, one of my uh, regular cameraman directors he is going to visit all those initiatives and uh, portray the people that are involved um, but I have to present it so I'm the voiceover I'm kind of the, the host of the of the program so today I had to go to Ruhrmont 
uh, by train and film all the presentations and also the conclusions to those shorter videos that will be put together later on. And I'm a little bit jealous that over here in Utrecht the sun is shining and we've got, well, partially cloudy skies but still also some blue skies. That was not the case in Roermond this morning when I arrived. It was just a few degrees above freezing. Uh, it was really cold. And since this is, will be aired uh, much later, so, you know, I don't know, it's, I think it's probably mm, around the 5th of April. I know that Palm Sunday is on the 5th of April because it happens to be my birthday. <laughs> so it's, it's the start of April. Um, and right now it's still winter. I mean, we're in the beginning of February. So I can't wear a coat when I'm presenting that. So <laughs> I was constantly standing in front of the camera um, trying not to uh, not to, to, to freeze too much. And after uh, some time, because this takes a couple of hours, my, my jaw gets frozen and I have trouble pronouncing the words in the sentences. So we had to do some re retakes just because it was so cold that... Um, I don't know, my mouth just slowed down. <laughs> but I'm glad it, it all went well. And, um, and I'm heading home, and it was actually also a, a lot of fun uh, to, to be outside. It, it sounds weird, because uh, with all the walking and running in previous years, I've been outside all the time. But these last few weeks, I've been constantly working in front of a computer. I just finished editing uh, a television episode about my time in Australia and uh, I was done at 8 o'clock in the evening and I've been editing almost non-stop for three days on that uh, on that show so I don't get to see much daylight lately and so I didn't mind to travel a little bit and be outside and do something different than just sitting at my desk Unfortunately, the work is not over because I have two more episodes that I have to uh, put together. So I've got one more that's probably going to be most of the footage I filmed in Melbourne. But I'm not sure if it's enough. I've got Blue Mountains and I've got Melbourne. And I think that I need a little bit more. So I'll probably already halfway through the episode uh, move to New Zealand film the first half of that and then the last episode will be all New Zealand so it will be a lot of Lord of the Rings Hobbit material <laughs> beautiful beautiful footage it's incredible it's filmed with a relatively old camera but I'm still amazed at the beauty of of Australia and and especially New Zealand wow what, a, what an incredible colors I remember these uh, lakes so you travel I was traveling over the southern island by car and uh, every once in a while I had, just had to stop because the view was so stunning and you have these, these lakes and I think it's a mineral that comes from the mountains uh, with the water that streams into the lake and it gives the water this bright blue color it's not the usual color that you see on lakes but it's almost this greenish blue color very vibrant it looks as if they just dumped uh, um, paint in <laughs> in the lake. It looks completely fake. You're like, wow, I'm seeing this with my own eyes. If I'd seen a photo, I would have said it, it was photoshopped. And so I uh, filmed a lot of that. And then uh, when you're all the way in the south, 
it's even be- more beautiful because you've got these mountain ranges in the distance and imagine a huge lake uh, almost an inner sea and then in the back of uh, background of that lake you see these massive mountains that are very reminiscent of the Alps or uh, the Pyrenees and they're snow covered uh, I was there I think in the springtime if I'm not mistaken and so a lot of these mountains still are covered in snow and it just looks straight out of a out of a fantasy movie <laughs> but it <laughs> difference is it's real so it's going to be i think a joy to put that together but also a lot of work most of the challenge for uh, for those um, episodes is to uh oh we've got our they control our our tickets here well, it's not really tickets anymore nowadays it's uh, a digital card that you scan or that they scan so let me get that out of its holder I think it's gotten um, a chip like a uh, is it RF? an RF chip? hello and it works very good very good so the wonders of technology nowadays I could have gone by car but several reasons why I didn't want to First of all, I love traveling by train because it's more relaxed. I don't have to pay attention. Also, I had to leave very early in the morning and there's usually quite a bit of traffic on the main roads to the south. And then also, uh, it's better for the environment because, believe it or not, the train that I'm currently riding and all the trains in the Netherlands are completely uh, fueled by green energy. Uh, if you've ever seen more recent pictures of the Netherlands, you will see a lot of these modern uh, windmills, or n- not really windmills, but uh, what do you call them? Anyway, wind generators. We have tons of them. And the energy that they generate is, among other things, used for our entire train system. Um, so it is uh, really helping the environment to... Uh, to be on a train instead of being in a car. I wanted to read a lot while on the train, but I didn't get to do that. (laughs) Because there was a ton of other stuff that I had to attend to. It's one of the other advantages nowadays with fast internet and uh, 4G, is I can just use my phone to work and do a ton of things. Uh, One of the the, uh, situations that I'm handling is... uh, uh, the Dutch Channel that we uh, started uh, about a year ago. We had some uh, some changes in personnel. There's uh, our, you know, one of our presenters uh, stopped working for us, and so we had to communicate that to the to the uh, people that are following us. Um, and then, of course, you get questions about that. Can't always go into detail uh, in in replying because uh, it's a personal matter as well. So we're handling that, and then I was answering a lot of questions. In the meantime, I get some emails from uh, my, um, how would you call that? The, not the editor, but the um, the chief editor, is that how you call it? So it's the person who is responsible for the final result of, of my television work. And he was doing the final, the final edit. 
So there are always some questions that emerge while they're watching the stuff that I edited. And um, But anyway, but being on the train made it possible for me to just do all that instead of uh, when you're in the car. The only thing you can do is listen to the radio. And oh my goodness, I have an old car. My car is 12 years old, I think. And it has just a regular analog radio. But you can't hook it up to your phone or mp3 player or whatever so you're basically condemned to listen to old-fashioned dutch radio and oh my goodness i had forgotten how bad radio has become it is so bland and so boring basically you can choose between a ton of music channels um but it, you can't skip forward, you know. You're so used to when you're listening sp- to Spotify or, or uh, Google Play Music. When, whenever a, a song comes on that I don't like, I just go to the next song. And on the radio, you can't. You have to really switch to another channel, which is also analog. So you're kind of pressing a button and then it has to find a new frequency because it's FM-based. And uh, it's really not a good experience. And actually, I really don't like to listen to music in the car. I prefer to be informed um, and not waste my time. So there's, there are two news uh, channels. One is business-oriented, and it's a very small channel, and it's not that great. And then you have the, let's say, public, the, our Dutch version of NPR. So it's the Dutch public um, broadcasting company and they have a news uh, channel but it's so different from the news that I'm used to um, internationally you know when, when you listen to the let's say streaming channels uh, from the US or from Australia sometimes or the BBC you get real news but here in the Netherlands we, it's a small country we don't have that much money in the public sector and so a lot of these news channels um, only have real hardcore news let's say, in, during rush hour. So in the morning between 7 and 9.30. And then it, I think it starts a new cycle. Uh, it's picked up again at around 4 o'clock, and then it ends at 6.30 in the evening, 6.30 p.m. And, and in between those real news programs, you have a lot of filler content. And it's these long conversations. Like the other day I was listening to uh, a program in the car and they went on for about 20 minutes about, I'm not kidding you, dog poop. <laughs> really? It's like the national, is Radio 1 and they were talking and, and having people call in about dog poop and, and uh, municipal taxes and uh, it was just the most surreal thing. I was like, is this, a, this sounds like, I don't know, like a comedy <laughs> but the only problem is they, they took it so seriously and I was like well, why would you even air that if, if this was on page, page 30 of a newspaper I wouldn't even care let alone you know primetime radio it's crazy so long live the podcast revolution it finally uh, started here in the Netherlands podcasting is at least now more mainstream than it ever was before one of, the, one, of the, one, one of the problems that I always had as a podcaster was that I was way ahead of the curve. So I, w- I was podcasting when most people in the Netherlands had never heard of uh, the whole phenomenon, let alone they knew how to listen to these shows. And so I never bothered doing anything in Dutch. And now, only just recently, just last year, podcasting starts to become mainstream. 
And then, of course, you get what you got everywhere is all of a sudden every, every radio station, every program on TV wants to have its own podcast equivalent. But we are a tiny little country with maybe a million people that have access to podcasting or know how to get access to it. And, that, and then you have to spread that number out over maybe now a couple of thousand podcasts many of which are just spin-offs of radio shows that are well produced um, there's some money behind it uh, they can uh, promote it on those you know shows on on regular channels that have a large audience so for let's say amateur podcasters or or like me um, I'm, I don't consider myself to be an amateur podcasting but pod- podcaster but certainly not affiliated with a big channel it's almost impossible to get a market share um, added to that of course the impossibility to uh, grow your audience through discovery which remains maybe the biggest issue uh, that is not yet solved by the way the <laughs> signal that you hear it is a warning signal that the doors are closing it is this this train is called a sprinter which evokes speed but it's quite the opposite it stops at every tree and then <laughs> the doors open and it's closed and uh, this is used also by more elderly people from time to time so you have these loud signals that warn people not to stand in the door opening <laughs> that's why you hear the, the bleeping or the beeping it's not because I said anything wrong so the discovery is usually pretty difficult with podcasting you have to know the host you have to know a certain topic search for that find Dutch podcast because most of the podcast directories when you type in a search term it will give you the first 30 40 shows will be English and you have to really know what you're looking for to find a Dutch show that is about your topic and most of the podcasts that are out there are not really niche podcasts they're more broad mainstream topics or it's music based or it's linked to popular TV programs but you don't have the let's say the niche content that you would have internationally well I'll, of course I'm all about niche <laughs> but it's it's impossible to get anywhere so for me it's really not interesting to do anything that has to do with podcasting in, in my country instead still focusing on YouTube and uh, as I've shared in my uh, other show my other weekly show uh, YouTube has been working really well ever since I uh, learned more about how to reach audiences and there is a spiritual dimension to that as well which is really impacting my life as a priest I've noticed I've always thought that in order to be of service in the digital realm and let's say in digital media I had to somehow um, bring to the forefront religious topics and mix them with popular culture like my entire activity uh, when I was at SQPN was based on, on, on mingling these two so I would do the secrets of whatever Harry Potter or Star Trek or Star Wars and I would always try to find ways to connect those stories with religious topics Um, which of course I think worked as a strategy and as a way to be able to bring you know religious religious discussions 
uh, to a wider audience. But with YouTube, I've noticed that the dynamics are changing tremendously. And, f and I think not in a bad way. Let me explain. Um, my aim, of course, is to, uh, to be of service and to be available to um, the biggest number of people possible without, of course, becoming you know, broadcast uh, or a broadcaster, which means you're casting your nets so broadly that it loses its personal touch, whereas I think my pastoral role as a priest is much more personal than you could ever do with you know, linear... Uh, top-down broadcasting. But in order to grow your audience, there are some rules that you have to follow, otherwise it's never going to work. And the more I apply those rules, the more I see that it actually works. So, for instance, what it entails is that you constantly look at how your videos are performing. And of course, since this is all measured digitally, you can do a minute-by-minute -minute analysis. So I can see when people stop watching, when they move over to another video. I can also see trends, and you can compare, and there are lots of tools that do that automatically, that compare your current video to the previous videos that you've done. And they will recommend you, these tools, what the topics are that your uh, audience is interested in. Now, the other thing that you need to deal with is the algorithm of YouTube. YouTube, of course, fully automated analysis of all these millions and millions of videos that are posted every day. Um, and they look for certain signs that a video may be interesting to a certain audience. And so you have to realize that um, before you produce your content. So what I usually do is there is a topic that I think I can do a video about. I analyze that topic and I look for the, the hook that is the best in terms of you know, what will yield the biggest audience. Um, and it's usually a topic that is broadly searched, that a lot of people are interested in, and where there's not much uh, competition. So low competition, high uh, demand. That is easier when you're one of the first to make a video about something. So that's why I think my reaction videos work so well. Uh, it, I try to do it as fast as I can, like with the Clone Wars Season 7 reaction video. So you're one of the first reaction videos out there. And then there's this huge interest and not too many other videos. But YouTube also knows that uh, I've done these kind of videos before and that my audience loved it and so that is also taken into account uh, when it comes to the algorithm. The downside of that or what I initially thought would be a huge downside is that since you're following trends um, you're actually confined by those trends. So if I wanted to bring up I don't know some kind of religious topic and I want to to, I don't know, an explanation about the use of frankincense during adoration. <laughs> I don't know, something really, really niche. Um, then that is never going to work because there is no interest, there is no traction. And if there's no traction, um, then the algorithm will never work for you. It's not that 
since I'm the Star Wars guy, that, that YouTube thinks, well, hey, this video about Eucharistic adoration and frankincense may be just as interest, may be of interest too to the people that are interested in, you know, reaction videos to Star Wars trailers. So what I was fearing is if I play along with this YouTube algorithm, I kind of lose my soul. I, I just become another pot, another YouTuber that will just follow the trends. And if you follow the trends, well, how can you ever be of, of value when it comes to the you know, deeper content or more spiritual topics? And that is exactly where I underestimated the... I think the potential, the power of a priestly presence in this world. So what I've noticed time and again is that even if I did a video, and most of my videos on my main channel are um, about non-spiritual, non-Catholic topics. Uh, so it's all about the geekery. But what I've noticed time and again is since I'm doing that recogn recognizably as a priest, people will ask questions and will want to hear from me and will interact with me in the comments. And the same is happening when I'm streaming uh, Battlefront 2, uh, which is a Star Wars video game. It's one of the few games that, I've actually, that I have been streaming. I get quite a bit of engagement. Um, usually there is a crowd of about between 50 and 100 people watching live. I've never had that before with YouTube, and it's only the beginning. I've only streamed a game, like, I don't know, three or four times let alone if I do this on a regular basis. This, this live audience may grow to hundreds of people. But what happens is that while I'm playing this video game and I'm shooting stormtroopers or rebels or, I don't know, riding tauntauns, people ask the most personal religious questions. Or they can find me with very personal things that are going on in their lives and they ask me for advice. And a lot of that interaction, both in the comments and in the life chat boxes are very similar to pastoral situations that I have in real life. And the questions that these followers ask me are identical and sometimes even better than the questions that I get from my parishioners. So what I discovered is it doesn't even matter what my videos are about, but what matters is that I'm available to an audience that uh, knows that I'm there for them and that they can trust me and that I'm real. Oh, I always love passing by this part of Amersfoort. You see the beautiful tower of Our Lady in the distance and then this old, uh, old, all the old medieval houses and the canals. It's beautiful. It zips by way too fast. Currently, I'm looking out of this window and I see... Well, I can't, I, I, I can't see it, but I see the neighborhood where we currently have our offices for the time being, uh, because that's probably also going to change <laughs> now that our entire production is changing. Um, so we're currently paying about a thousand, almost a thousand dollars per month for our current offices. And to be honest, we don't need we don't need the space anymore. <laughs> and since they're going to close the church and probably also gonna you know ask us to move out at one point not too far away in, in the distance we won't don't want to invest in the offices anymore so anyway that's uh, totally beside the point that I was trying to make so my presence in this community of people of geeks and people that are interested in Star Wars and Star Trek and uh, Marvel and Disney 
That by itself is my way of evangelizing because I lower the threshold. I encounter people where they are in the world where they like to be, speaking the language that they speak, and all of a sudden there's a connection. And it's this personal interaction. That's why I love video so much. It's not only that they hear my voice, but they can also see me. Um, and, and so I'm just amazed to see uh, how personal the, these, these conversations get and how much I can mean. And, and, and it's very simple. It's another thing that I love. I don't have like very long conversations. But someone asks a question in the comments. I can think about it. Sometimes I take about it a day, I pray about it, and then I'll just write uh, a paragraph of, you know, here's what I would do, or here's how you could look at the situation. So it's these very small snippets of uh, advice, sometimes also explanation, you know, when people ask questions, um, and, and that's it. And if people want to ask additional questions, they can always come back because I'm, you know, on that channel, I'm always there. So they, they can just jump in the next live stream. And I think one of the reasons that it gets so personal is that it is um, semi-anonymous. People can just, you know, usually they have screen names, which for me is sometimes also <laughs> really annoying because people choose screen names like, uh, I don't know, Skater Boy 5 Eight four a exclamation point at sign. So how do you address a name like that in a live stream? I can't. <laughs> or people are sometimes, or actually quite quite often, from uh, non-English speaking countries. I've got a lot of people following me from Germany. Um, I've got quite a few people from Poland also interacting with me. Some French followers, and so they will usually have screen names especially if it's more uh, Eastern European that I can't even pronounce <laughs> sometimes they will ask the question in Polish thinking that well this is a priest so he has to be Polish or at least he has to know Polish <laughs> so I always have a browser window open on my computer with Google Translate and I do automatic translation so if people leave a comment in a foreign language that I don't recognize Google Translate gives me, gives me the gist Sometimes I answer and have my, I translate my answer through Google Translate into the language of the original post. But I also need Google Translate just in case someone is saying bad stuff in that language that I can't read. And it's out there on display and I don't, I don't monitor it. So it is, as you can imagine, quite a bit of work to, uh, to, to, not only to uh, translate stuff and to interact with the audience, but also to constantly figure out ways to reach them. But it pays off. And I've been growing... I've, I've been calling this whole community... Uh, oh, here's my town. I just saw the church where, next to which I, I live. So I have to get off the train here. I also should not forget to check out. If I forget that, then I get... I, you pay the maximum amount. So basically the system scans when you enter the train and on which station and when you leave it. But of course, if you forget to check out, it just assumes that you've been uh, touring <laughs> the entire country for, the, for most of the day and you pay a lot. Uh, okay, let me just get off the train first. Uh, is it going to beep? Yeah, it is. There we go. 
Oh, and here the sun is shining too. So uh, it, it pays off and I'm growing my digital parish um, tremendously. I mean, I got more than a thousand new subscribers uh, in, in, the, in the previous 28 days. That is unheard of. I wish I could grow my real parishes like that. Okay, checking out. Ooh, that's quite expensive. Almost 30 bucks in total today. Anyway. All right, everybody's going home. But I think the real rush hour is still about an hour away. Oh, I'm so glad it's still daylight when I go home. That's been a while. <laughs> Yesterday it was all dark and I, I usually feel miserable when I see everybody going home and I have to sit at my computer and continue editing or I'm rendering and there are technical problems and, you know, error element not found, object blah blah blah. All these technical problems that always occur when you are completely finished in a sense mentally physically dead tired and then the computer starts to act up as if it knows that i'm vulnerable but anyway so i i grow that that virtual parish it's not really virtual i think these people are real <laughs> they are real but it's a digital parish um and it's growing and more and more people um start to also to interact amongst each other i like that too uh, what was I going to say about it? And it's, well, it works both ways. I can be there. I, I offer something that clearly people are interested in. Otherwise, they wouldn't, they wouldn't view my content. Um, but they also contribute to my, the joy of interacting. There is something there's inherently social about, about YouTube that is great. And it gives me the feeling that um, the world is yeah, uh, there are so many kind people I mean I can't believe that my videos usually get only one or two dislikes and hundreds of likes so I've I totally did not expect that ratio I thought as soon as people see a priest they'll start to even without viewing the video they will dislike it just because well priest you know <laughs> faith um but I get tons of comments from people that say, hey, I'm agnostic or I'm an atheist, but man, if you were living in my neighborhood, I would certainly come to your church or at least go and grab a beer with you and talk about geek stuff. And um, there is something um, very empowering about that because you feel like, wait a minute, I can be a priest for tons of people. I think the majority of the people that I encounter on YouTube... They would never, ever set a foot in a church. And here they are asking the most personal things and asking for advice and I can help them. I mean, that is so, I don't know, encouraging. Especially because in real life, as a parish priest, you f I feel that more and more we're just serving the final remnants of the Catholic population that is no longer growing, that is almost sterile in a certain way. And there are many, many reasons for that. And not everything can be fixed. Uh, but, you, but there is no way to reach new audiences. That is the biggest problem, I think, of the Catholic Church in these Western countries. 
they cannot escape their own bubble anymore because they've I don't know, they don't have the means. They, it's just also sometimes the, just the sheer lack of time and energy and resources to go beyond their own self-imposed borders. So if, and that's something that sometimes is frightening to see, that if churches only focus on liturgy, on the Mass, no matter how important it is, but it is taking place in a vacuum And there's no one from the outside that will ever get to know the wonderful things that you celebrate inside the walls of the church because you don't do anything to encounter them and to invite them. And the beauty of this digital ministry is that I don't have to even, I don't have to work. I don't even have to put energy into reaching out. YouTube does it for me. The only thing I need to do is to be there in that world and be available and people will come to me and ultimately of course i hope that they will find christ because it's i'm just a conduit i'm just a medium but it is um i think that is supposed to be the way it works and if you look at jesus and if you look at the apostles what is their defining characteristic they're always on the move they're always outside They're in the streets. They're like the look at the gospel stories. Read through the gospel stories, and and try to measure the time that these that Jesus and his apostles spend in a synagogue or in the temple, and compare that to the amount of time that you see them spend outside, or you know, in the streets or in the homes of people. It is completely upside down in in most churches and in most religions right now. We are inside, we're closed off from the rest of the world, and we expect that people will, out of their own goodness or whatever magical trick, will come to us and we'll, we'll, discover, we'll discover whatever we have to offer. As long as we, you know, make sure that we have beautiful liturgy and that we uh, sing in Latin and that we revive the old traditions... As if that by itself is by miracle going to attract new people. And that, of course, is never going to happen. I'm not saying that, that liturgy shouldn't be beautiful and that, that you shouldn't do all these things, but it's lacking the most important ingredient in evangelization, and that is to reach out. We have to squeeze through this small street here. They're still working on the pavement. And so they fenced off the road and bikes and pedestrians all have to walk over the same narrow path here. Oh, it's probably still a few more weeks and then the street will finally be done. It has taken them months. Anyway, we'll get a nice, beautiful new street in return. So, um, and for me, the way to, do, to change this, I cannot change the church situation. And it's, it's sometimes very frustrating that I'm spending my time and my energy on uh, uh, basically doing the same liturgies, the same masses, time and again. And of course, again, it's not, it's not bad in itself, but it feels so closed off of the world in which the church lives. And it feels like such a complete um, enclosed environment where you sometimes wonder, am I really helping people? Or 
Am I just entertainment, liturgical Catholic entertainment? Am I providing what people, what gives people kind of the, the same traditional comfort that, I don't know, makes them feel warm and fuzzy, perhaps? Uh, but does it change their lives? Does it still have that power? And what are the opportunities that we're missing because we stay inside and we spend all our time on just church business? It's not about what we do as such, but is the balance in everything. And I think that we're completely out of whack. And that is why it will never all of a sudden automatically uh, take, a, take a turn for the better. It's not going to happen. And that makes it sometimes hard to keep on doing this. But right now, I'm not in charge of the parish. I'm not, I'm not the bishop. I have to basically follow orders and do what I'm supposed to do. But at the same time, I'm so thankful that I can have this other ministry, uh, both on, on television, where I reach uh, many, many different people. Uh, I, I can e reach out and evangelize and show what's going on in the world of the Catholic Church and faith and inspire people, even if they're not part of my congregation. And even better, what I can do on YouTube, where right now... Um, 60% of the people that watch my videos and encounter me on, on, on YouTube, on the channel, are from outside. They're new. Imagine if I could have in church every Sunday, if 60% of the audience in my Sunday masses would be new people every Sunday. Imagine the opportunities to grow your, your community. Well, that, that is what I'm doing on YouTube. It gives me a lot of joy and it also teaches me This is, I think, what we should do as a church. We should really find ways to engage people uh, and, and, and put a majority of our efforts in that. And it means sometimes stepping away. I'm still working here in front of the church. I kind of want to wrap things up. But what we should do, I think, is um, make room for that. Make choices. That is the biggest thing that I'm currently... Uh, processing and thinking about and and also using to adjust the plans uh, it all involves you know going for what, what is truly necessary and not what you think the world needs that is what YouTube teaches me right now and if I go back to the example of the Dutch Catholic channel that we started after a year we looked at the numbers we looked at what we've been doing and looked at the result of of all that effort and all that money that we poured into that channel only to conclude that it's serving a small very very small subset of already catholic people and those people are already been they are being informed by tons of other uh, catholic media channels so that is never going to fill the, or fulfill the mission that we set ourselves, which is to evangelize, to help people to become Catholics or to re-become Catholics. So what I think we need to do, and fortunately it's the beginning of the year, so we can, we can adjust our plans, and we should, is to completely rethink that approach. If we want to be Catholic today, because that's the name of the channel, then I would say we have to use that same evangelization model that YouTube and other similar platforms are enabling us to to use 
and that is to be where people are and join their lives and then be available to them. And they will come with questions. They will ask for help. And we don't even have to think about, uh, okay, so how do we get our message across? They'll be asking for it. Just like Jesus doesn't go out uh, with his apostles and, and sends them ahead of of time saying, hey, you, you just uh, here's your advertisement budget and uh, make sure that people come to our, to our um, master classes and you will just do the Rabbi Jesus master class. It will teach you how to go to heaven in t- 10 easy to remember steps. He does nothing, nothing like that. He's just there. He preaches, he talks, he uses stories that people can understand. And then the crowds are coming with their sick, with their the poor, the beggars, the, the, the discarded people, the, <laughs> the prostitutes, the sinners, and they cling on to him. And he looks at them and he's like, oh, these are sheep without a shepherd. Well, I'm here for them. If Jesus works like that, well, why don't we? Why don't we? But it means you have to say goodbye to um, this, this sender-based, top-down type of communication. And with all our good intentions, I think that is what we subconsciously felt more comfortable with than, than going the extra mile and, and doing what I try to do right now internationally with the YouTube channel. And also to trust that people have this innate hunger for God and, and this radar or a GPS system that will guide us to God. Um, and what you should do is to create roads on which they can travel. Or, you know, roads. Where we go, we don't need any roads. <laughs> People can fly. But to trust that that, you know, mechanism, that, that, in, that radar uh, still works in people, even, they, even though they may not always realize it. So anyway, those are things that I'm currently thinking about quite a bit. And um, we'll just continue to... Uh, to talk about it, discern, pray, etc., uh, to find ways to put it into practice. Hey, I'm home. I'm going to get a cup of coffee because I've been up really early. And then uh, oh, I still have a few hours before I have to go to bed. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. And um, if you are a supporter on Patreon, thank you so much. I really appreciate all the help in my mission. I couldn't do it without the help of the people that support me. Take care and see you next time.